The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 14th chapter, beginning with the 22nd verse. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth, and we pray now that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. When I was a child, my grandmother had a beautiful book that uh, had all of the disciples in it and large full-page paintings of each one of them and a little bio on them. And, and I remember some of them, there wasn't much written next to them because we don't know a lot about them. But Peter is the one that we know the most about. Uh, Peter is the one that we probably feel the most um, familiar with. And a lot of things about Peter that we learn from him in the scriptures uh, make him very human to us, make him very real to us. He can be so bold at one time and then just so weak at another time. And He can be the guy that grabs his sword to defend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and yet just a few hours later he's denying he even knows Jesus and bringing down curses on himself. Uh, sometimes he says things a little too quickly without really thinking things through. So there's, there's so many things about Peter that I know for myself, I kind of find myself in him. And uh, his, his strength of faith at one moment and yet such a, such a weak faith at other moments. And it's really kind of a picture of us. And I think, I think that's why he, uh, we see him as someone in our lives that, that we probably identify with the most among Jesus' disciples. And he was one of the really inner circle, Peter, James, and John, like, for instance, at the Transfiguration that was allowed to see Christ in, in all of his glory. So we have an interesting context here in this story. And I, I always think, what was that first step like for Peter to come out of the boat? When you put your foot down on the surface of this deep water. Sea of Galilee gets pretty deep in the middle. And to put your foot down on that surface and to then just lean forward onto it to feel whether or not you're going to be supported. What was that first step light like for him? But trusting in Jesus' promise to him to come out of the boat, trusting in God's word, he, he now 
goes ahead with something that, that goes against the laws of nature, something that completely goes against the laws of gravity. And so there might have been a conflict in his mind of what he thought should happen, and yet now trusting Christ, what clearly was happening. And Jesus uses this to demonstrate his divine authority, that he truly is and always will be the Son of God himself. And that's, that miraculous event, again, causes the disciples in the boat to come to him and say that, truly you are the Son of God. So our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very creator of the world, the word through whom all the world was brought into existence, our Lord Jesus Christ also has the power over the very laws or rules or regulations of nature that he puts in place. And he can manipulate them to whatever he needs or whatever he wants uh, because nothing is impossible with God. Now, this story follows right on the heels of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Peter was one of those disciples that not only saw Christ take a, a few loaves of bread and fish and, and uh, distribute it to all of these people, but he's also one of the ones then that picked up one of the 12 baskets. He probably was one holding one and went around and, and gathered up the leftovers, which were far more than what Christ had originally started with, to feed 5,000 people that would fill our civic center downtown. Think how large of a crowd that, that, that is. So Peter had witnessed our Lord Jesus demonstrating his divine authority in such a wonderful way. And, and that explains why he has also such confidence in Jesus' words to him when Jesus tells him now to come out of the boat. And so he rightly places his trust in that power of Christ and in his promise to him. And at that point in the story, Peter is a wonderful example of faith for all of us. Uh, the book of Hebrews says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, one of the hymn writers, um, Petrus Herbert, Herbert, said this, Faith is a living power from heaven that trusts the promises God has given. That's a great way to describe it. But then all of a sudden the waves come up. All of a sudden Peter sees something different in the, the Sea of Galilee and his mind starts to override his trust in Christ. His, his way of approaching this through reason and logic starts to override what he knows he should be trusting in Christ. And in a sense, he begins to lean on his own understanding rather than trusting in his Lord. And Jesus, to teach him and all of us a lesson, permits him to start to sink. He lets gravity again take over. And I always wonder how far down did he start to go before he reached out for him. You can tell there's, a, there's panic in Peter's voice as this, as this happens. Now, let's learn something here about ourselves and about our faith and things too. There are two forms of questioning God. There are two different ways or forms of questioning God. One is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's the form of questioning where it causes us to go back and re-study what the Word tells us. To go back and reinvestigate, or to get help from a fellow Christian who will strengthen us. Maybe a pastor or a teacher 
or a, a fellow believer. Uh, that's a, a proper form of us questioning God. And that can be used by the Holy Spirit to strengthen faith and to build it up again. But then there's the evil form of questioning God. And that is when we let our minds rule over what he says and throw his word aside and act as if we know better or other people know better than what God himself says. And we, we suddenly undermine the very word that he gives us. That is the evil form of, of questioning God. Let me give you an illustration that uh, may help us think a little about this. So let's say that there's a dad who's out ice fishing, and he's out in the middle of a lake, and uh, it's been super, super cold, kind of like we've had. And the ice is six foot deep. He has just drilled down to do some ice fishing. And he knows how deep and powerful that ice is to hold him. He's out there in his little hut. And uh, suddenly he sees two of his children who happen to be riding horses. And they're back on the land. Uh, they're back on the snow, the snow right down by the edge of the lake. And they yell out to him. And he says, come on out. Bring your horse right out on the ice. It's six feet deep. It's, it's strong, it'll support you, it's no problem, come on out. And the one child isn't sure and gets off his horse, little eight, nine-year-old, and decides to get down on his knees and slowly begin creeping out on the ice to his dad. The other child boldly snaps the reins and goes right out with the horse onto the ice and goes all the way out to the father. It's kind of a picture of how I know I can be sometimes with the promises of God and the things God has said to me, where he calls on us to be bold in our trust of him, we're skeptical. And sometimes I, I, I want to trust him, but I, I, it's a little hard to really put my full confidence in him. So today, do a spiritual checkup for yourself, okay? Where has God given you very clear promises about your life where you might want to not fully trust what he has said to you. Where do you and I believe in what he says but kind of simply want to creep into those promises? Is it, is it about a particular sin that you're afraid might keep you out of heaven someday when his word has clearly said he has paid for all of your sins and you are forgiven? And that you're holy before him? Is it possibly things like the Lord's Supper, where Jesus clearly tells you, this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins? That maybe you're not sure about that? Is it his promise that he will work all things together for your good? And something's happened in your life and you're thinking, it doesn't feel that way right now? Is it maybe in the realm of, of your stewardship where God invites you to, to bring your gifts and your offerings to him, trusting he will care for you? And, well, maybe we don't, don't think we can trust him quite so much. Or maybe the power that he promises you in your baptism or the future resurrection of your body that he's promised you that seems to conflict with everything we would know in this world. Or even just the promise of going to heaven itself. Where are the places where he has firmly given you his word on something and you and I maybe just kind of creep out into that? You, under, you need to understand, we need to understand that when, when God gives us his word, he places his very essence into that word and into that promise. 
God is absolutely holy. That means he cannot lie. And he's the one that controls all things. And so when he gives us a promise and says something, even if it conflicts with how we reason about it, he will carry it out and he will do it. Because if he ceased to do that, it would destroy his holiness. He would cease to be God in a sense. He places in those promises to you his very essence so that we can have full confidence and full trust in him. Listen to what Balaam said. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Jesus grabs Peter by the arm, and as he's pulling him up, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Notice he still has faith. It's tiny, it's little, it's weak, but he still has faith. And that part is good. That's the part to be commended. Our Lord Jesus recognizes that you and I at times have very weak faith. We have tiny little faith in our lives. But it's still faith. And when you have that faith in him, as small and weak and struggling as it might be, it still possesses the full blessings of his kingdom. Whether you have a strong, firm faith or a tiny little weak faith, you still possess everything Christ has done for you and all the promises of God. No one has ever been let down who trusts the promises of our Savior. No one, who is, no one has ever been let down. There's no one in heaven who could tell you right now, yeah, I shouldn't have trusted that. And so may our prayer always be, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Amen.